Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to our podcast of our Bible study from Christchurch Jerusalem. We are in the last chapter of Galatians. And so we'd like to thank you for journeying with us through this very important epistle, listening to all the things that we've been wrestling with and, and learning, and, and pray that our walk in, in the Spirit has um, become empowered, that we can continue to love and serve each other and bless the Lord. This is a summary of our, it's quite a healthy discussion last week. We didn't get through many verses per se, but they were really important to us. And, uh, and I think we learned a lot. So here's a, a rough summary. Freedom in Christ does not mean that you can do whatever you want. Freedom is not and never will be a state of lawlessness. In the next few verses, Paul presents some practical instructions on walking out our freedom in Christ. Walking out our freedom, essentially Christian halakha, is described by Paul as those who are living by the Spirit. Paul instructs the community to restore gently those found in an unnamed sin. The tone is not judgmental. Being overtaken by sin does not imply that the person does not have the Holy Spirit, as evidenced by King David. The Greek word for restore has many uses in both the New Testament and extra-biblical Greek literature. It can refer to the mending of bones in the human body, as well as the mending of nets, the fishermen, such as the disciples of Jesus in the Gospels. Something has been broken. In this case, the walk in the Spirit and is in need of restoration. And this is done by those who continue to live in the Spirit. Living in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, implies some sort of action. Walking and living are not static stances. Paul warns the community against the temptation to similarly fall into sin while seeking to correct the fallen brother or sister. This implies that sin is dangerous to the whole community. Sin cannot be allowed to remain and fester within the community. Sin and holiness are both infectious and can be transferred to others. Many of our communities through history and to our present day suffer under the burden of false shepherds and bad bishops those who have failed to defend the gospel and challenge heresy. We all have our own burdens to bear as part of life's journey, be they the consequences of poor choices we have made or the results of actions by others. We also have the yoke of the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus says is easy and his burden is light. Paul urges us to carry each other's burdens. That is, the walk in the spirit is not something we do solely as individuals. But there is a community aspect to our faith journey. This is a command from Paul. The assumption is that we all have burdens, something that is weighing us down, but God does not want us to carry them alone. Paul states that this activity of the community, sharing and supporting the burden of each other, is the fulfilling of the law of Christ. This is an interesting phrase not found anywhere else in Scripture. It's not used in the Gospels, the Apostles, nor anywhere else by Paul himself except actually here. It is difficult to assess whether Paul is referring to a set body of teachings or whether he is referring to a code of behavior. 
as what is the law of Christ. The behavior being walking or living by the Spirit. The community action of bearing each other's burdens, fulfilling, that is, putting into correct practice of the Torah or the law of the Messiah, now embedded on the hearts of the believers. The community is never lawless, for the Torah is on the hearts of each of us, placing the community under the law of Christ. Rather than serving sin and the elemental forces of the world, we are serving each other and thus serving the Messiah. The law of Christ is not something one-off. It is continually established through our, our sacrificial actions towards our brothers and sisters. On the things stopping us from enacting the law of the Messiah is our pride. Paul admonishes us to examine our actions, not our theology. He doesn't ask us to examine our hearts. Pride distracts us from ministering to each other. Paul urges us towards self-appraisal of our walk with the Lord. Therein lies true happiness, for we do not want to continue in our self-deception. We may think our actions are approved by the Lord when in reality they are definitely not. The scripture reflects on the day when all our works will indeed be judged before the Lord. As part of our final accountability before the Lord, we will bear our own load for our works, actions, and faithfulness. And this is not in contradiction to verse 2, where we are encouraged to bear each other's loads. During our communal walk of faith, we journey together, restoring those that have become overtaken by sin, helping those that have stumbled to stand until the last day when we come before the Lord and their ultimate personal responsibility for our own actions. In this context of bearing each other's burdens and caring for the community, Paul instructs those who are taught to share with their teachers. Supporting those who bless you spiritually with financial support has many practical applications. On a personal level, the community takes care of their shepherds, while their shepherds take spiritual care of the community. Going on to the next level, the Gentiles are blessed spiritually by the Jewish people. Thus, Paul can say in Romans that we owe them some physical support too. One way to stop the gospel spreading is to impoverish the teachers. And the other is to make them super rich. Paul does not say make the teachers wealthy. He does not think they deserve a Gulfstream personal jet planes and an entourage of personal staff with their own TV show. Simply that the shepherds share in the community in all humbleness and gentleness. A lot there in uh, five verses or six verses. And so we're going to look at the final section, picking it up at verse 7, Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow, grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. 
It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised and they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus the Messiah by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus the Messiah be with the spirit brothers. Amen. 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 Okay. The first uh, verse seven. After setting up uh, a nice little discussion on some practical ways of uh, walking in the spirit, thus fulfilling or establishing the law of Christ, this very interesting phrase that occurs only here, we are warned by Paul not to be deceived. God is not mocked. There's an element of deception, of something that is false, that challenges the Lord. What is it? He has an interesting phrase for whatever one sows, that will also reap. In context of walking in the spirit, in context of establishing and fulfilling the law of Christ, what do you think he's talking about here? And also remember the context. We've got some agitators, some influencers who are trying to convince this community that they're not actually equal, that that um, to actually have a proper relationship with the Lord as the same as Jews do, then you have to get circumcised, which is not true. Paul's, Paul's argued that. So here he turns around and says, now, look, I don't want you, don't be deceived. Somebody's got them deceived. And it's mocking the Lord. Reap what you sow. Any thoughts? What do you think might be a deception in a walk in the spirit? I got something for you. How's this? Part of a deception could be you're not saying you're not spiritual, you haven't heard the Lord if dot, 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 you're not doing this, you're not doing that. Somebody comes along and makes a blanket statement that says something like, if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Anyone heard that one? I'm sure we've all heard that one. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Jews and Gentiles, or in this context, Jews and Gentiles aren't equal. They never have been equal. Why would you ever think that they're equal? You want to be the same rank as Jews? No, you have to get circumcised. Yeah. This is all about ego, isn't it, really? It's inflated egos of, of, of one part of that equation, which is the Jews saying, you know, you, know, you, can, you can say what you like, but we know. Yeah. We, we know the real thing. You know, we've been in this game longer than you. That, yes, that's of, right. That kind of thing. It's what I, was, what I would say. Uh, there's there's actually quite a lot of people that are like that. I, I always find the, the, the good challenge um, when a brand new believer, like brand new baby believers, say something so profound, so simple, and you think, oh, my gosh, why, what, what happened to me? Why can't I have that? Yes. Why, why did my faith get so complicated? <laughs> yes. It's like when a child speaks from the heart, it, it yeah. hits you like an arrow because children haven't learned to be deceitful. You know, hopefully, and they speak as they see and they think. So, what what do you think mocks the Lord? 
Take, take an example of anything in the church today, if you like. It's not always easy to think about. We know it occurs. Yes. I also think we're a bit wary of saying something that mocks the Lord because it might offend somebody. That's true. Um, a lot of what we do or don't do is, uh, is based on not trying to offend a brother or sister, yes. particularly if they're of the household of faith. Yes. We, we consider that, oh, maybe if I make them feel good, I'm actually making God feel bad. Here, Paul is saying there's, there's some sort of deception. It's this false gospel that he's been arguing against. This false gospel mocks God. He then goes on to, to, to give this uh, actual biblical motif. Whatever you sow, you reap. So some people I've, I've heard, uh, and I know from experience at, uh, at, at Christ Church in Jerusalem, uh, lovely believers couldn't believe that sowing and reaping was still a concept in the Bible, that you actually had consequences to actions. But this is the consequence to actions. Whatever you sow is what you reap. If you believe in Jesus, that's fantastic. But if you still drive your car too fast, what's going to happen? You may get a speeding ticket. You might crash. There is a consequence to your actions. That's just something physical. Paul here is, is talking about things a little bit more spiritual. If you sow division, what will you reap? Division. You'll reap division. And that you can see all throughout church history, all throughout our community. If you attempt to sow unity, there is the chance you might reap. Of course, you don't want unity at any cost, but there is a consequence to our actions, both in the physical world and in the spiritual world. And so as a, as a community, as a family, we have to keep this principle somewhere close to the forefront of our theology, that we understand that um, things that we say, the prayers that we pray, our attitudes and behaviours to each other have a consequence. And, and if we say something which some might not agree with, but if it's said in truth and, and open-hearted, you, you might not be preaching to everyone, but you might reach that one person that needs these words. You, it, it happens. It's happened to me. And I've listened, you know, been in um, a service and listened, and suddenly everything seems to be spoken that I feel it's, it's meant for me. So we should always speak. Truth, I think, is a, is a, and trust comes from that. Yeah, sometimes though the truth hurts, and sometimes it sometimes it's also inappropriate. It gets a little dodgy sometimes, but the point is, yes, best is to speak the truth. The next verse: For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, and the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. So here he's getting a little bit more poignant because what's the big issue that the Galatians are, uh, are struggling with? Circumcision. Yeah, should they or should they not get circumcised? And it has to do with not just the actual physical act, but the theology, theological implications of why you think you need to do it in the first place. Like that's the part of the false gospel is this, where did you, where, what exactly has the Messiah freed you? How has the Messiah actually made people equal? That doesn't stop people from being Jews or Gentiles, as we discussed previously. Uh, here he's, he's actually challenging uh, the, the Gentile community, and he would prefer us to sow and, uh, well, no, sowing and reaping will have both physical and spiritual implications. Here he's referring to the spirit. Uh, don't grow weary in doing good. Now that doing good is going to go back to being the physical side. Okay? Paul sometimes gets uh, a bit of a, 
he gets a bad rap as being somebody who, who likes to throw away the idea of actually having to do anything. Yet, here you have him very poignantly saying, don't, don't stop doing good. Keep it up. I never, never once told you stop. Do good. Do not grow weary in doing good. Why would someone, do you think, grow weary from doing good in the first place? First, I, I want to connect those words um, from verse 7 to 8 to verse 6. Because when you look at verse 6, it's actually saying, it's talking about um, sharing with um, the teacher or with the one who is um, um, teaching, you know, sharing on things that are physical with the ones who is teaching them spiritual things, trying to take care of your teachers and your pastors and uh, on that ground is moving further to, because I tried to look at it in other translation and it's kind of almost the same pattern. And it's looking at it in the sense that if we don't um, take care of these men of God, then we're trying to mock God. We, we come and we mouth it that we love God, but we're not showing the, the kind of um, care that we, 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 we talk about God to the people that are representing him. And which he further went down to say um, there that so, um, if you sow in the flesh, you shall reap in the flesh. And but the one who sow in the spirit will reap in the spirit, even eternal life. You know, um, I, I feel he's talking more about giving and, um, you know, being nice to the, the teachers of the gospel. So it relates to the verse six, which is um, this idea that uh, uh, look after your teachers because they are providing you with a spiritual thing, and then you will reap a better harvest. He's doing a good job. Christine takes it in another way, which is also very good, where I think we mock the Lord when we also think that what we do is secret and unseen. Mm. You know, we think we can get away with it, yeah. uh, which is uh, it's a nice another way of looking at it as well, is that we honestly really can't get away with stuff. There's got multiple levels when you read Read, read Bible. So that's good. I like the connection to the teacher and, uh, and the connection to, to doing things in secret. Either way, we reap what we sow. One of the initial missioners in the Pirkeavot is find yourself a good teacher. And that's one of the, as you, if you're growing up in faith and you come to the Lord, then you don't sit around and just study Bible all by yourself. You think, oh, I've got to go find a good Bible teacher. Who knows the Bible? Where do I go? And, and where, who challenges me the most? Who teaches me the truth? And that is a good quest, and from that you will reap, uh, reap well. Failing that, if we just ignore the spirit, if we ignore our teachers, if we ignore the church, we stop meeting together, we'll eventually just reap corruption. It, it, it will all uh, collapse around us. And don't grow weary of doing good. Now, wonder why that, that had occurred. Perhaps some fatigue could come in. But some people, some some communities actually just do get tired. They just essentially burn out. Um, they, they 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 stop. COVID has really hit a lot of uh, communities around the world. They don't know how to react. They don't even know how to restart, and that's a problem. We're here, um, Paul urges, don't don't give up. Keep going. For in due season you reap if you don't give up, and so. A lot of our culture today is, is immediate gratification. Yeah. yeah. You click an app and it immediately takes you to a website. You immediately get your news. You don't have to wait. You immediately click on the YouTube video and it automatically starts playing. Our sense of immediacy is actually a little harmful. 
because now we have absolutely no patience anymore. Right? If, if you click on an app and then the little wheel spins and you have to actually sit and wait, most of us swipe it away and go on to something else, which is a bit, a bit sad. You certainly wouldn't treat a brother standing right in front of you the same way, or you would hope that you don't. We've come to a, a society that, that has no persistence. We really lack the idea of, of persistence. And yet one of the things that you, you get through the entire Bible is the overcomer. Things aren't immediate. You do have to plant a seed, and you've got to wait for that seed to grow. And then you have to physically work to get a harvest. It's not going to just immediately come to you. So there is a, a sense of, well, it takes time. You don't just preach a sermon, do an altar call, and get 20 people saved. It's not if it happens. Okay? Sometimes it takes a little bit longer than that. Actually, usually it takes a little bit longer uh, than that. But we are encouraged by our brother, don't give up. Okay? Just keep persevering. So then. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. What do you think it means by, by that? So then as you have opportunity, would you, uh, do you think you would miss an opportunity? How would you fail to recognize an opportunity? There's an interesting midrash. Okay? It's just a, just a piece of Jewish exegesis that says um, uh, don't run after sin. Okay, Don't run after doing a sin. But at the same time, don't run after doing a mitzvah. Just when you get one. Do it. Uh, now, why do you think they would say something like that? To emphasize the sablanut. Yeah, patience. Also, sometimes by running to do something, that you actually end up doing something inappropriate. Yes, correct. Yep. Yeah, sometimes you just need a little bit more patience. Wait, look at the whole scenario. Don't just leap in in the first uh, instance. But when, when you have the opportunity to do something good, take it. In, in my experience... Uh, uh, being here in Jerusalem, people come in your in your sphere of orbit, and I have to sometimes think, and I, I don't always know how to help them. I, I don't always know. Uh, sometimes the the problem seems so insurmountable, and the only comfort that I take in knowing that somewhere along the line I can help is my belief that if God is good and God knows His heroes. Why would he put someone in front of me that, I, that he knows I can't actually help? Yeah. Why would he do that? There must be something that I could do. And it actually just might be a smile. Maybe that is the only thing I could give somebody is to say, you know what, I actually really don't know how to help right now, but here's what I can tell you. I know that God loves you very much, and I really want to help, but I don't know. And in the name of the Lord. And yes, I'm going to pray. You know, like he says, I don't have silver, I don't have gold. Right. Have, I'll, I'll do it. And, and maybe that was just enough. Maybe that was the person was like, you know, no one has been honest with me before. Or I actually just like that smile. That was nice. I felt a little alone today. Um, you don't really know. Maybe it, the opportunity to take them into your home, give them a night on your couch, a nice dinner, who knows? Or maybe it was to share the gospel and pray. Maybe it was to actually make a friend. There are, there are lots of things. But Paul says, as you have the opportunity, okay, when those things arrive, don't, don't ignore them. Get in. Do good to everyone. But then he gives a small caveat, which is always very interesting. Why do you think he says, and especially to those who are the household of faith? Because they're family. 
for their family. Okay. What else? What are some of the other reasons why he might say this little caveat? Do good. Yes, absolutely. Take every opportunity. Yes, absolutely. But especially for the household of faith. Charity begins at home. Yep, charity begins at home. Okay, that's a good one. Okay. Who here is a multimillionaire and completely rich and is absolutely fantastic? Any one of you guys? Shimshon. <laughs> yeah, Shimshon. But apart from Shimshon, okay, who's sitting on a big pile of Nigerian gold over there. I have, the pot- I have the potentials. Yeah, yeah, I have yeah. the potentials. Thank you for that. <laughs> we have finite resources. I was going to share um, a situation that happened with me a few years ago. It was like about you know, when you can do good. And it was just at McDonald's. We, um, there was this family that came in when we lived in Manaus and they were going to be working at my husband's uh, job. And so we wanted to, um, oh, they, you know, we, we took them out. I think the kids, we dropped in to grab some McDonald's for the kids and we were going to go have dinner. But, you know, they, they were coming for the weekend to see if, he, you know, they wanted the job. So this whole interviewing process and we helped them, uh, you know, to feel, we just, you know, welcoming to the city. And there was this young uh boy begging, you know, asking for things at the door of McDonald's. And since I was with this family, I, you know, he asked uh, for food and I said, okay, yeah. I said, you know, cause I had this couple, we had this couple and I said, yeah, as soon as I, um, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, as soon as I come out, you know, I'll, I'll get that for you. And uh, I was get, I went in, so I went in and, you know, with, with his family and eating and then with the kids. And then when he came out, the boy wasn't there anymore. And I uh, walked and I had already purchased the food for him. I walked around the whole McDonald's, like all around the parking lot, couldn't find this young boy. And uh, I had asked some of the people, you know, the drive through window guy, if he'd seen this person. And he said, no, that he hadn't seen him. And I was like, oh, that's one of those opportunities that I'm going to uh, be held accountable. And I just thought, wow, you know, I, maybe I just probably should have said, okay, let me grab something for him first and then go in and deal with this other family. So just sometimes little things that are within our realm, some things are so large and, uh, but some things like you said, Aaron, there's just a smile or just uh, grab a, you know, yeah. food for, for the needy. It's, um, but I felt really bad because I knew that that opportunity had passed and I wouldn't have the opportunity. I went the next weekend on the next Saturday to see Looking if the boy was there yeah. and I never saw him again. It is a hard one. I've, it takes experience to, to learn that, that if God is God and God puts someone in front of our way, then there must be some way I could help. Because I, I, I just can't see how God would, would just, just throw somebody in front of you and say, see, here's a person who really needs help. You can't help him. No, 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 no. I just can't see that. I could be completely wrong, but, I, but I, 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 I'm one of those guys who thinks, no, nah, I think God's a little more in control like that. And, um, and that, uh, that my, my desire then to try and figure out, okay, I got this opportunity. I wonder what it is. And perhaps it is just the little, the little thing. Learning to take the opportunity when you, when you see it, now, that's also uh, an act of the spirit as well. I'm sure we can probably all attest to times where we kicked ourselves because we didn't do it. But the uh, it, you know, uh, experience is a, a good teacher. And um, mm-hmm. I think one of the studies a couple of weeks ago, you know, how he's, you know, the, the, the passage in the Bible where you can be entertaining angels. 
And um, we were, there was another local, I mean, he, there's a lot of opportunities here, um, you know, lower income, the children uh, begging, but there was a, he was very drunk on the side of the road. I mean, very, and he was asking for money and I came out and gave him food. <laughs> yeah. We all, obviously he didn't want the food. So, um, but I just remember because you had said, you know, I mean, it could be, and an, of course, a minister, it could be an angel in disguise. You never know, but um it's just we do have to share the love. I wanted to mention that, as you said, this um, we all have something to give. Um, and one of the things we can give, even we cannot help the person, is to keep hope alive. Uh, hope is one of the most important things for life to go on. Um, if you read Romans 5, from verse 1 to 5, it ends up, you know, talking about hope. You know, if, if we have gone through all these challenges, and hope make it not a shame, as it puts in the King James Version. So um, I think we can give hope. And like you say, the smile and the word of encouragement can go a long way. Yep. I think that we can bless people in all sorts of different ways. And during lockdown, it was so hard, you know, because not seeing anybody, not when we were really shut in. But one of the things I realized you could do if someone was really feeling down or suffering a lot, um, and when I was feeling down and suffering, I thought, well, let me not think of me. Yeah. Um, let me try and think of somebody else and, you know, try and help them. And sending flowers does wonders for people. Um, I know perhaps, I don't know, I don't want to be sexist, but I was going to say perhaps men wouldn't appreciate it so much. But I can tell you, I've sent some flowers <laughs> to people and they really, really have felt blessed. Now, I'm not trying to claim credit for that. I'm merely saying that it is like the smile. Mm -hmm. It's like when I go out for a walk, I try and smile at everybody. And uh, you get a response very often. And I think it's about the, you know, sometimes we have limited ways in which we can be Jesus to people. But whatever we have, we can somehow find a way of giving in some way. That, that's what I wanted to share. I'm going to give an example of this um, uh, to the household of faith, especially to the household of faith. We do have limited resources. I don't think anyone here is a billionaire. If you are, please stay online afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about some mission opportunities. There was a Jewish believer who's actually been in um, this Bible study a few times. He took a group and they went to the settlements and they really wanted to go to these, these couple of uh, settlements. And so he, they arranged to go and speak to the leaders of these uh, settlements, religious settlements. So religious Jews, Tzitzi, Tipo, all that kind of stuff. And these Christians came and they prayed for them and they blessed them. And then they, they turned around and they gave them $10,000 to each settlement. And this Jewish believer is, what are you doing? These guys curse you. They curse the, the Messiah and you've got brothers and sisters messianic believers who could use this money to pay for their buildings to spread the gospel to uh, uh, what 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 are you doing i think it's part of it go to the settlement yes pray for them yes but if you're going to give some money like that amount maybe that was a little inappropriate uh, unless of course you happen to give your brother 10 grand as well but uh, it's a, i found it i thought it was like oh hang on i this, this verse came to me when, when I heard him talking about like this. He said, oh, no, give to the household of faith first. If you've got something left, great. But um, let's not, let's not, uh, sometimes we, we, we send our um, funds to, uh, to the wrong organizations. 
and and we don't give the the church the mission the people who are doing the work of the kingdom for the actual right right funds uh, who, who else had their hand up before i rudely interrupted I, and sometimes we don't have a lot of money to to or physical means to help people um but i uh, i think it's also true for us to really listen intently to people and the number of times um opportunity has been lost by someone saying something that because we weren't listening intently we missed the need that they had to be heard and yeah. to and to be able to talk to them about whatever that issue is and i find that happens uh, especially nowadays it happens more often than not and sometimes people don't want something physical but they do desperately need someone to listen to them and i found in both communities both christian and jewish communities uh people desperately need that now i i think what paul's doing here is he's trying remember in the, in the context i think he's trying to get the community to act like community he's trying to say guys be sensitive to each other be sensitive to to others around you and he's he's asked us to test our own actions and get rid of pride he's he's, he's asking us to uh to look after and bless and do good deeds to our brothers and sisters and this will reap something this will actually that we're sowing into our brothers and sisters and we're going to reap a harvest if we persevere uh, and uh, but there's also that that uh, uh tension in galatians just looming around uh the corner which is about to come about to come up so after giving this little discussion then you get to this verse 11 which is very interesting see with what large letters i am writing to you with my own hand most of us i think know that um a lot of these guys had scribes and they dictated and that was a a common practice um even to today today we have dictation on our phones so we don't have to write anything siri will write it all for you but um some somehow the script changes and the original letter which we do not have um seemed to bear uh, a different marking people whoever was reading it realized well this is not the same pen, penmanship now now we're we're changing oh, okay and i'm now writing to you with, with my own hand and uh, this is how personal it's getting because he doesn't do this for anything else right this is this is these these people were very dear to him he had come to them beaten and 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 badly badly bruised uh and yet in his weakness he had established a community he had seen that if you had maintained perseverance even when beaten up a community of believers could, could grow they were incredibly supportive he loved them very much they listened to his gospel and yet now now um something was happening so you know in a very personal way he grabs the pen and writes to them Uh, at the end he now says to something to whoever is influencing his group maybe because he assumes that in the ancient world letters were read in public so uh if a letter arrived to the community of believers to the synagogue they would gather and they would read it some guy who actually read would read for the community and everybody would just sit around so all the good guys and the bad guys would be present everyone would be here listening to what Paul is about to say to those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you 
to be circumcised. This is verse uh, 12. And only in order that they may uh, not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Does anybody have a, a variant reading on those verses at all? I'm reading from an ESV. When I was at Hebrew University, I was doing a class on New Testament. They actually studied the New Testament at Hebrew University because at Hebrew University they call it a Jewish text. Uh, They study it just as a Jewish text. They don't study it as a book of faith or anything like that. They study it in the same way that they study um, other uh, Second Temple period Jewish literature like um, the Wisdom of Solomon or... um, the book of Ben Sirah or something. But anyway, I was doing, doing a study and um, I was looking at uh, Galatians for one of my papers and not being a Greek scholar because I wasn't very good at it. Um, I was struck by uh, Galatians 6.13 because of all the different versions that there appeared in the Bible. So in the, the, the thing up the beginning is in Greek. There's the Greek sentence, which I cannot read, unfortunately. But this preposition and verb here. I think it's, how do I pronounce this, Aria? Is it pepri... Peripherite noimenoi. Peripherite noimenoi, okay. And this is whole. This is a preposition. This verse has variant readings. Now, as I'm sure some of you know, that there are, the New Testament isn't one, not all all books of Galatians are are the same. You actually have different... uh, Things. Erasmus, when he was putting together New Testament, actually has a little anecdotal um, version where he has the Textus Receptus, but he's got off down to one side all the different variants that are that are up here. You can find uh, I what use, I use helpful is a little book on called the, the, the Critical Commentary on, on New Testament Greek, and it just gives you various different readings. So here are some different readings from different manuscripts that appear. Different translators use different uh, variants when they decide on what they're going to pick to, to translate. So in verse 6, 13, the NIV says, not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about circumcision in the flesh. This is a stock standard uh, reading one, and it, and it also follows the NASB, which is very literal. For those who are circumcised do not keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised in the person of your flesh. The classic King James. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised. They make glory in the flesh. So on these readings, those who are circumcised, who would that be? If someone says those who are circumcised, you would automatically think who? Jews. Jews. Yeah, Jews. Jews are circumcised. Gentiles not circumcised. Jews are circumcised. Have a look at this guy from the Greek English uh, New Testament, Nestle and Ireland version. For those who receive circumcision, do not themselves keep the law. They desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. So, on that variant reading of the Greek, for those who receive circumcision, who could that be? Now we've got a couple of options. What would be some of them? Gentiles. It could be. It could be Gentiles who are about to receive circumcision or have received circumcision. But it still could also be Jews because Jews receive circumcision. They do it all the time. So 
they're not, you're not sure. The uh, New Living took a, a, a manuscript that says, even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciple. So here, those who advocate circumcision, it's got nothing to do with somebody receiving it or anything. They're just the ones pushing it on you. So who could the guys pushing it on you be? Well, it could be anybody. It could be Jews, yes. It could be Gentiles. It could be proselytes. It could be Jew Gentiles who have become Jews, now pushing it on other people. Uh, the CJB, what was that one? It's the Complete Jewish Bible, Stern's version. He said uh, he, took a, he took a very different, not a different one, he took a, a variant that is, is possible by the text. For even those who are getting circumcised don't observe Torah. On the contrary, they want you to be circumcised. They can boast of having gained your adherence. For those who are getting circumcised. So what does that imply? Either they're eight days old or they're not Jews yet. So like, it, it, who's, who's the, the, the people that Paul's worried about? We often associate, as Arya has and a few others, that the men of James, which we read in chapter 2, are the same guys that are influencing the Galatians here. It's possible, although the encounter in Galatians 2 is in Antioch. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the same, same uh, group of people. It's a, it's a similar idea, uh, but there we're talking about food issues. So here is the, um, um, in how you interpret Paul's substantive participle, the, the oi uh, peritetumenomoi. Okay, I can't pronounce it. Ariel will do it again, I'm sure. A guy by the name of uh, uh, Nanos, this is the, who I'm, I, I took this from. It's part of my uh, research at Hebrew University. He says, there are variant readings and ways to read this, this case. If you read it as a present middle causative, do not ask me what that means. That means a lot of things to scholars. doesn't mean a lot to me. However, it's called a present middle, middle causative. The emphasis is on the influences advocacy of circumcision, reading this as those who advocate circumcision, which is very similar to what uh, the New Living Translation did. Okay, they read it and translated the Greek as a present middle, middle positive. Could be read as a present middle reflexive. The emphasis on self motivation thus reads as those who choose to get circumcised, which is the way um, Stern read it. He's not the only one, although he's one of the rarer ones. Okay. But the, the, the emphasis then on the verb is that they're emphasizing self-motivation. Those who are choosing to get circumcised now want you to get circumcised, meaning the agitators, the influencers, are not actually Jews. They're Gentiles who are trying to make everybody Jewish. The present middle permissive is a uh, present sense of action, thus reading those who presently are getting circumcised, which is also possible, also indicating that they're not Jews. A present middle concessive reads as the ones who are circumcised, so it could be anybody. It could be somebody who was Gentile and now has been circumcised, or it could be Jews who were circumcised since day eight. There's a passive reading, emphasis on the influencer's own receipt of circumcision, reads as the ones who get circumcised, but doesn't tell you when that actually occurred. And there is one manuscript known as P46, 
which reads, has a Greek version in imperfect pat passive, which says a variant that focuses on the condition that results from a previous action reads as those who have been circumcised, meaning the ad whoever's uh, bothering Paul has been circumcised, meaning they weren't circumcised at the start. They were Gentiles. Raised hand, Vida. I mean, that's very interesting, Aaron. I find that fascinating. But do you think, do you think the Greek is so um, perfect that what Paul's written there is what you've had is the Judaizers, the Jewish people come into that community, convince that community they need to be circumcised, then leave, and then what happens is you've got people in the community who get circumcised and are pushing it on other people. Yes, that's, that's, that, that perfectly easily could have happened. That the Greek would definitely allow that situation, and that, that's very, very possible, is that you had the, the Jesus movement explodes, Paul has gone to Galatians, he shared the gospel, Gentiles are like, this is fantastic. Of course, they're actually Jews in Galatia. There's synagogues in Galatia. And so Gentiles who, are, who have always been God-fearers, they have been attached to the, the faith of Abraham. They never became Jews. They, they stayed Gentiles. We've got evidence of them not only in the Bible. We've got lots of evidence in the Bible. Jesus encounters them. Paul encounters them. Uh, but you've got them in extra-biblical texts. They, they knew that we're not the same rank as Jews. Jews are Jews. We're God-fearers. We're not exactly the same. In fact, Jews couldn't eat with God-fearers. They're Gentiles. Their food is still unclean. So there was a, a breakdown in table fellowship. Along comes the Jesus movement, and the Jesus movement says, uh-uh, in the Messianic kingdom, there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. You're exactly the same. You, don't, you, you can have table fellowship. In fact, we want you to have table fellowship. When I meet my fellow apostle who's broken table fellowship, I'm going to take him to task on this issue. Um, the, there's freedom in the Messiah. And so, uh, and, and, and so there was a... a some people, some people potentially, on this reading of this, um, some of these manuscripts, it reflects that, uh, yeah, Vida, some Gentiles didn't think that being that just because you believed in the Messiah, you are now equal to Jews. They said, no, that just does not happen. Uh, all of my life, I've, I've known that there's been a difference, and so. They had created this false gospel. They said, okay, sure, you can believe in Jesus as the Messiah. I don't care. But don't tell me you're equal to Jews. If you want to be equal to Jews, then do this. And it was, and whatever it was, it was quite powerful. Well, however they framed their argument, they could have been Jews from Jerusalem who came down and were influencing the agitator, influencing Paul. He doesn't seem to know who they are. He doesn't call them out by name. They seem to be this little vague group. But uh, there is this potential that it was actually an inner problem of a, of a, a Gentile community, that they just couldn't accept the freedom that was being offered to them. It was, um, they, they thought that they had to do something. And you get those, that, some of those verses that talk about uh, having to emasculate yourself. But these variant readings do, depending on what translation you're reading and what, um, uh, how the translators have decided to, to look at the scenario and the argument, 
um, it presents s- several different avenues as to who's actually the antagonists of, of Paul. Essentially, it's still exactly the same issue. Are you equal before the Lord or are you not? Um, and, um, and Paul would say, yeah, you're absolutely equal before the Lord. And for me, I interpreted this a lot that he had, he had birthed this church basically. And then he's just frantic this whole letter because they're sliding away from just the, the basics of it and kind of, I don't even know if it's one, I feel like it maybe not, isn't a one giant really pushy movement, but more the way our society just slowly goes into those gray spaces and sort of slides away from the basics. And they've gotten where they're putting the religion and the, um, just the rituals and that kind of stuff ahead of the true gospel. And I feel like he's just in a panic. And then the large print thing just is him kind of hollering at him. Like I'm trying to get their attention. <laughs> yes. he, wants to, he, want, he loves them so much. And he's just frantic that they've sort of slid away with good intentions, but they're moving away from what he was trying to teach them. Yes. And he is actually nervous about it. the, I, I find it interesting that um, that initially many commentaries put the blame on uh, Jewish believers uh, as the ones that caused the problem, the Judaizers. Take the modern day today. Who predominantly are the Judaizers in our communities today? Are they Jews or are they Gentiles? Gentiles. Yeah. Same dog, different tree. I've got a, I've got a, I've got a sneaky suspicion that this, this was an issue that, for some reason, Gentiles just couldn't come to terms with. Some, some Gentiles couldn't come to terms with. It's, it's, I could be wrong, but I, I, uh, I, I wrote a paper on it. I said, look, I don't speak Greek. All I know is that I've got, and this is only just a few versions. I, I gave him like 20 different uh, versions of the Bible with different variant readings saying, I don't understand. Obviously, from even in English, I can see that the translators have got an issue here, um, what, what seems to be the issue, and I discussed it. Uh, the professor didn't agree with me at all, just letting everybody know. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a great argument, completely disagree with you. But he gave me a really good grade. He gave me a 92. But just because I argued my point, not because he actually agreed with me. Just putting that there, that... It, the, the actual influences, the people that Paul is, is, is a, that, that are his opponents may actually be Jewish, but they also might not be. They might actually be Gentiles themselves. Gentiles who are either in the action of becoming circumcised, which means they're not, they're not uh, Jews yet, or some of them already have and some of them haven't as part of their uh, desire. And they're trying, and perhaps a couple of more verses later it might even flesh it out as to why they would even do such a thing. In verse 14, it says, um, so in verse 13, those who have circumcised, I'm reading the ESV here, uh, do not themselves keep the Torah. Now, why would these, why would these Jews who are circumcised not keep the Torah? It, it, it reads better if they're Gentiles who don't even keep the Torah. They're just getting circumcised because they think that that makes them Jewish and makes them in a better standing. But their desire is to have you circumcised because they can boast in your flesh. Why would they boast? Why, why would they? Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord. Okay, that's where we should really, by which the world had been crucified to me and I to the world. 
For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Right? What's the new creation? Does that mean that? Yes, that's right. And if we've got a bunch of people all standing around born again, we're all equal. And uh, uh, there are some from art. Uh, in, uh, in in fresco art that you find in um, a place called Dura Europis, which is in Syria, um, you see uh, uh, some some frescoes, some paintings of baptisms in the early church. What they look like, and they're mikvahs. You've got all the community standing around. There's a guy coming up out of the water all by himself. There's no one touching him. You know, it's very Jewish to go into the water yourself. And as they come out, all these brothers and sisters are standing around. And, and one of them is holding on to some robes. He's going to give the new believer a set of robes. Everybody was wearing white robes. Right? They were all wearing exactly the same thing. Now, if you went to a church today and everybody was standing around in white robes, you would probably say, I've joined a cult. You wouldn't say, oh, this is fantastic, and it all just like, looks like revelation. I'll see what you're all doing here. But the early community took this idea that, no, we're completely equal. We will wear the same white robe like we see in Revelation. And if I've got a white robe on, you've got a white robe on, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, we're exactly the same. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female, we're exactly the same. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or the Gentile, we're exactly the same. We're exactly the same. And that was one of their ways of, of practicing it out. We don't do that today. In fact, the only people walking around in white robes these days are the, the priests. And that's because that's the thing that they held on to from the past but we have a new creation as vita says we are born again and that's what paul wants that's part of the the gospel and if you don't believe that you're a new creation and born again you're going back trying to make yourself equal through a work and it's a false gospel shimshon yes just um, as you mentioned the white um, rope we have um we have some group of people that do it here in the country they are we refer to as the white garment churches um, they actually put on white robe to come to church, you know. Is that yeah. right? And they all do the same? Yeah, they all do the same. Um, only the, the, there's a bit of difference when they put the belt. I think the belt has different colors, and depending on your ranking from the priest to, to the other laymen will have um, different colors on their belt. But we call them the white garment churches. Ah, I didn't know that. It's interesting. I, I went to speak at an underground church in... Um, in Hong Kong, actually, it was in Hong Kong. It was in uh, Shenzhen, and I, I went went to this church, and everybody wore, wore white robes. It's the only time I've ever seen it. So, a, a group of Chinese believers became uh, became believers in the Messiah, and they they had absolutely no tradition as to uh, how you do church. So, they Googled church, and they what 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 they came to was a Catholic mass, and they. <laughs> Standing around an altar, dressed in a robe, and they said, "Okay, that's what we'll do." So everybody was. <laughs> I rocked up in a t-shirt, and they're like, "Who are you? Where's your robe?" Like, uh, I forgot it. Uh, and I borrow one. Of <laughs> uh, it's an interesting thing that some some community. Yeah. Um, yeah. But really, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. Shouldn't matter what we wear. Yeah. Honestly, sure. but what really counts for Paul. Is the new creation? Is are you are you born again and walking by the Spirit, picking up the brother that's fallen? Um, stop trying to force each other to 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 become equal. You are equal. And uh, as far as all who walk by this rule, okay, this is this um, 
the, the rule he's talking about is the, the, the law of Christ, the, the walking by, by the Spirit, which is an action. He blesses them, peace and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. Okay. Who is the Israel of God? Church. And? The Jewish people. We are the Israel of God. Yes. Jews and Gentiles are the Israel of God. We're grafted in. He, he explains it a bit better in Romans, but, but here, the Israel of God, yes, the, the household of faith, whatever you want to call it. Obviously, it started with the Jewish believers on the day of Pentecost, but by the grace and mercy of God, it now includes Gentiles as well, as Paul has said, co-equal, right, because of the blessings that God said to Abraham. God said to Abraham, you all nations are going to be blessed through you, and it's been and it's being dramatized out in this thing we call the church, the ecclesia, the household of faith. Sometimes it's called the Commonwealth of Israel. That's a nice name for it. Okay. Or here, the Israel of God. Okay? Brothers and sisters, welcome to the Israel of God. Okay, that doesn't stop Jews from being Jews. Certainly doesn't stop Gentiles from being Gentiles. And then the uh uh so from now on. I don't want anyone to cause me trouble. Okay, Paul's had enough. Okay, he really doesn't want to get <laughs> more, more nasty language. Okay, he's done. He's made his argument. He's, he's, he's told people how they should live. He's reminded people of who he was. And, uh, and, 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 and he goes, I'm, we're done. I actually still bear on my body the marks of the Messiah. Now, that's interesting. What do you think he means by that? The persecution he's gone through because of the Messiah. Yep. And 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 he in uh, some texts he gives you the 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 lengthy um, horror story of how many times he's been shipwrecked. I mean, really, you don't want to sell him on your boat, do you? Because he's he's always sinking. So um, there, there are some people you just don't want to fly with, and he's one of them, right? So they, uh, he's he's had some issues. Could be that it could be that he has he is he he will always bear physical scars for the Messiah. How many of us could say the same? We could probably assume that he's referring mostly to the scars left by his multiple floggings in synagogues. Yes. Shipwreck, shipwrecks didn't leave any marks. No. But the, uh, the Jewish flogging was how many, REA? 39 stripes. 39 stripes. And you got that five times, is it? I believe so. Yes. So he, his back. Enough to kill a normal person uh, several <laughs> times over. Yeah. Wasn't he stoned and left for dead? Uh, several times, wasn't it? Yeah, there was a couple once, of times. Once in Derby. Yeah. Stripes were from synagogues, though. Scars. Indeed. So he's still bearing those. Those are part of his um, testimony that he, he feels that it's powerful enough to share with his brothers and sisters. They actually probably saw it, too. Those that some of them may have actually remembered. Oh, yeah, I remember when he came to our community, he wasn't looking too healthy. And, uh, and despite all that, he poured his heart and soul out for us. And uh, he's just reminding me, yeah, you remember, I'm, I'm still looking like that, okay? Yeah, it hasn't gotten any better. Um, there's no plastic surgery uh, to help me. And then he gives them um, uh, a blessing. And this, these ha habitual ideas of, of, of blessings are still with us in the, in the communities today. In fact, um, uh, part about many of our liturgies include blessings like these. In fact, sometimes we write letters to each other. You know? Not only do I get 
Shabbat Shalom messages uh, from some of you guys, which is always very nice. But every now and again, I also get a nice little blessing that just appears. Vita, are you here? Your husband often sends me a little uh, beautiful blessing for the Sabbath, writes me a, a little um, little uh, choice, some words from the Psalms that just send along a, a blessing. And, and words, words have power, do they not? Words and speeches can inspire people so much that they will change the course of nations. Yes? Yes, they yeah. do. And uh, at the same time as you can curse, you can also bless. And as uh, he sends a blessing, grace, the grace of our Lord, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, may be with your spirit. Yeah, and the power of life and death is in the tongue, right? Lashon Harad's to stone. And uh, many times, actually, both in the Gospels themselves, Yeshua also says, you know, from uh, the abundance of the heart comes forth uh, the words of the mouth. In fact, uh, in a couple of weeks, the lectionary reading is going to be talking about the getting up to the, the tongue. It's going to be quite a few. In fact, where uh, Jesus talks about it's not what goes in your mouth that's important, it's actually what comes out. And, uh, so one of the things that does come out should be a blessing. And he blesses. And uh, may there be the grace of the Lord. Now, of course, many, many times, I've heard it many times, uh, there's more grace in the New Testament than in the Hebrew Bible. You heard that one, Shimshon? Yes. Yes. Um, a lot of people believe that um, grace actually came in the New Testament and there was no grace. In fact, there was um, judgment in the Old Testament. Yeah. That's the misconception, yeah. generally. Because, yeah. Paul, there is no New Testament. Paul's writing this. So what possible basis has he got? He's a, he's, he's a rabbi and part of his blessing. Oh, use some grace, you know, grace and mercy. Guess, guess who showed up? The Messiah. God has fulfilled all of his promises. He is so true to his word. And I tell you, it's grace. It's absolutely fantastic. And uh, it doesn't have to stem from New Testament. It stems from the Messiah. It stems from God himself who has been faithful to do his, his word. And maybe with your spirit. So it doesn't matter what your body looks like, especially for Paul. He was all black and blue constantly. And um, it, what's important is, uh, is uh, if your spirit wants our spirits uh, to be well, right uh, uh, with God. Okay, any, um, any final thoughts on the, the nature of the, of the epistle or the problem that Paul's wrestling with? or? Uh, any highlights? Um, I really liked uh, our discussion on the law of Christ, which is an interesting phrase that it only appeared once. Um, Can uh, I ask you just one thing on this verse 14, I think it is, where it says um, that I should glory in the cross of Lord Jesus Christ. Yep, okay. How come it glories in the cross and not the resurrection? Oh, that's a good one. Good question. I mean, yeah. I know they interlinked. Yes. Sure, yes. Well, it's, we've actually discussed this, this sort of the, uh, thinking several times in our, in our uh, studies, um, and I'm sure, Aria, you can help me because you'll remember the verse off the top of your head. What's the verse where Paul says, I continue in the sufferings or, or something like that? Um, it's in Colossians 1 yeah. rather than 2, which I said last week. Okay. Colossians 1, I think it's around verse 23 or so. And do you remember how it goes? It says, uh, I rejoice in my sufferings on your behalf, for I'm filling up 
on making up the things that are missing in the sufferings of Christ or his body, which is the church. So there's this, there's this somehow, and, and Paul is like, I, I glory in the cross of the Lord, you know, this, this idea that um, uh, we partake in the resurrection. Yes, we also partake in, 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 the, in the cross as well. He's viewing this as an ongoing current uh, reality. He's not looking at it just in a historical retrospective. Right. Is this, do you think, because um, Paul also quotes the Old Testament scripture where we are sheep counted as the, for the slaughter? Do you think that's a mindset that we as Christians tend not to have? We tend to look always as a resurrection. We have all these blessings and, and you know, we, we have everything complete in Christ. But because of the, the current teachings in the Western church, which is correct in that context, but right. that we are also sheep for the slaughter for brothers and sisters and to bear each other's burdens. That's what this epistle really covers for me. It's, it's mm -hmm. one about really going out there for the brothers and sisters and doing whatever's needed to, to be conscious of dead. Yeah. Uh, it, the, the, the more I keep studying, the more I realise that um, this is a journey we do together, obviously until that last final day where we stand before the Lord by ourselves. However, I'm with you and you're with me, and your sufferings are my sufferings, and your joy is my joy, or it should be. Um, uh, too much of our world is instantaneous gratification. Too much of our world is individualism. Too much of our world uh, says you can't impose anything upon me because that's just evil. <laughs> A real shame. And we've, 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 we've turned, um, we've turned uh, our faith into something that's very passive. And I think Paul is... is, is uh, in, uh, in the Greek, I'm sure it's present continuous or the continuous actions. It's something that we continually do. Uh, Shimshon, hand raised. From what um, she just mentioned uh, in the verse 14, um, I believe Paul is trying to emphasize on the finished work on the cross of Calvary. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's where his boasting is coming from, that Yeshua has done it for him, and that's why he can be here to make any um, boasting. Um, it's not by his own righteousness, and because is um Yeshua was you know um was chastised for our sins and like Amen. every other person he could have been the one day but um Yeshua did that for him and so he's making the boast in that and um also our our passing verse which is uh, the grace you know um a lot of words especially the word kesed is what is used to express grace in um, Hebrew but um it's a very deep word when you look at the word kesed, and um, in many places is um, is translated as loving kindness, or you know, and and some they, they have to use more than one word to try to explain the kesed, and um, it's a very deep word that has to do with a lot of, of mercy of God. Um, you know, the popular um, Psalm one thirty six that we chant, kitov um, um, uh, give thanks to the Lord for his good, for his mercies, and does forever. And that is the same word came, that is um, used there, kesed, and um, which for all the believers, especially those that have been in the synagogue and in the temple, and will have chanted the kesed of God in all the Psalms, by the time Paul is saying this, it's not coming new to them. They are connecting that kesed with um, what they've read in the Psalms to now Yeshua, because it's bringing their knowledge of that um, grace that they've been talking about in the Old 
Oh, I mean, for them, it's not the wood. Excellent. Anything else there, guys? Well, brothers and sisters, we actually have finished another epistle. It only took us 17 weeks. Out of a shame. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's a, it's, a, it's a little, like a lot of Paul's writings. They're not big books. They're, they're short letters, and they're just packed with you know, theology and wisdom and practical ways to walk out your faith. You know, I, I, I find Paul to be like a typical rabbi. It's just not static. And you, don't, you don't sit under your tree and wait for the rapture. This is you know, very practical, loving your brother right here, right now. And, uh, and then him giving an example uh, uh, at it all the time. And, uh, and also being cross, being um, bold enough to chastise a false gospel, you know, which is something that our shepherds have just neglected to do in our current day and age, much to um, the detriment of the body of the Messiah. Uh, however, that, that is not to be with us. We will um, go forward. In grace, in mercy, and the law of the Messiah, and be uh, good, especially to the household of faith. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay, let's make sure that that's who we take care of first. There'll be opportunities to bless the unbelievers yet, and the best way to bless an unbeliever is make Pray. him a believer, make him a brother or a sister. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org Blessings from the City of the Great King